When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, Awesomes. Welcome to another episode in our Extra Awesome series. From time to time, we take a break from our regular schedule to talk about awesome things going on in our world. And today, I am so thrilled to be joined by my very dear friend, Nish Wyseth, to talk about something that I love so much and cannot stop talking about. It's the Netflix series, Stranger Things. Nish is a writer and a frequent columnist at Cosmopolitan Magazine. You've most likely seen her writing super smart things in other places around the web. She's the author of the book, Speak, How Your Story Can Change the World. And she's got a brand new podcast out, you guys. Nish, hello and welcome to Sorta Awesome. Thank you. I can't believe I'm a podcaster now. Whoever thought. I know. Whoever thought that the person with all the words would find another way to use all of her words. (laughs) And we're so glad that you are. Listen, you have been on my target list of people to bring on the show since we started. So I'm so excited that our shared enthusiasm for Stranger Things is finally making it happen. (sighs) Yeah. I'm still recouping from the latest season. So I'm so excited to talk about it. I'm going to need some processing time. (laughs) Good. Let's process together. Totally. Uh, But before before we get to all things Stranger Things, let's talk about Impolite Company. Yes. New podcast that you are co-hosting with Amy Sullivan. Take a minute. Tell the awesomes. What are y'all cooking up over there? What do you have going on with this new show? Okay. Well, this new show, let me go ahead and say, I think... It's, it's not for everybody because we do talk about the two things that you're not supposed to talk about in Polite Company. It's religion mm-hmm. and politics. And so... Religion and politics. Just get them both in there, mash <laughs> no, them up and see what happens. Exactly right. We just decided if we're going to go for it, let's like really go for it. And so right? that is what we talk about every week. We kind of look at what's happening in the news and we talk about all of the different ways in which the news and religion are intersecting. So mm. like this week, we just released an episode this week about um, white evangelical like conservative white evangelicalism and its intersection with gun culture as kind of Mm. a discussion to have after the mass shooting that we just had in Texas. And so that's just like one example we've talked about. We've talked about abortion. We've talked about taxes. We've talked about, oh, we've talked about all sorts of things. So it is a fiery place over there, but it is really fun. And it's really fun to be two women talking about these sorts of issues. Yes. Because this, like these two subjects of religion and politics and where those two intersect has been so dominated by men for so long. And to have two women kind of put their foot down and say, um, we're going to need you guys to take a seat for just a minute. We have some (laughs) things to say is super fun. So we have been thrilled. It's been really, I mean, it's been very widely received and people are listening and getting a lot out of it, which for us is great. We want to start really good conversations and really empower women 
particularly women of all different faiths, to start talking about politics. And because we are, as women, just inherently political, like our whole existence is political. So it is important for us to be well-informed and have well-informed opinions about these things as we go to, you know, the voting booth. So it is, it is really fun. It's, like I said, it's spicy, but it's spicy. I wouldn't have it any other way. So (laughs) (laughs) definitely, definitely. I'm so glad that you said that because a lot of times I think that having conversations about politics, even having conversations about religion, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's almost like, like religion seems like the tamest thing you can talk about these days sometimes because in light of the political arena that we live in now. But the fact that you all are saying here is this is where these things intersect. And whether we want to talk about it or not, they absolutely do intersect. You're really leading the way in conversations there. And yes, this is the age of the political podcast. There's so many podcasts that have come out about politics specifically, but mostly male-led. And so I'm so thankful that you and Amy both have taken up this conversation and are inviting us in to have these conversations through the show. For anybody who's interested, I'm assuming we can find it in all the places that podcasts live and exist right now. All the apps and all the apps. Yeah. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, all those. We're around. So. Okay, I'm for sure dropping a link to M Polite. It's I M M Polite. M Polite, like not polite. Because when have I ever been polite, Megan? <laughs> oh, goodness. So I will drop a link to all of that into the show notes for this episode if you all would like to go find Nish and Amy and what they're doing over there on their show. So I am so glad, like I said, that I could get you to come on Sort of Awesome so we can talk Stranger Things. So happy to be here. Yes, as we usually do when we talk about shows on these Extra Awesome Series episodes, we're going to talk really generally about the series to begin with, and I will give you all a warning, an exit point if you have not watched Stranger Things at all, or if you haven't talked, if you haven't watched Season 2, because I think we're going to really spend some time digging into Season 2, which just dropped last month on Netflix. So if you would like to remain unspoiled for Stranger Things 1 and or 2, We'll let you know when to go. But just generally speaking, if you have been under a rock (laughs) for the past year and a half, this is the overview of Stranger Things. It's an American science fiction kind of slash horror series. It's hard to sort of hard to categorize that was created, written, directed and co-executive produced by the Duffer Brothers the entity known as the Duffer Brothers. I know. They are twin <laughs> they're twin brothers. Which gives me hope for my twin boys that maybe someday they will take up a joint pursuit. Be like creative geniuses. Amazing. Yes, basically. <laughs> <laughs> So they are uh, Matt and Ross Duffer. They were born in 1984. And the first season of Stranger Things that they dropped on Netflix came out in July of 2016. Stranger Things 2 as they prefer this second season to be called, released on Netflix last month on October 27th. It introduces us to the fictional town of Hawkins, Indiana in the early-ish 80s. There is a lab nearby, a kind of scary, imposing, mysterious lab called Hawkins National Laboratory, where all kinds of creepy scientific research goes on. Uh, They do experiments with human test subjects. They also accidentally create a portal to an alternate dimension known in Stranger Things as the Upside Down. So we have this whole cast of characters kind of led by Winona Ryder in all of her big-eyed, expressive face glory. She's a <laughs> she is a legend. She is iconic. She I cannot is get a treasure. I love yes. her. Yes. 
She's amazing in the role of Joyce Byers. Her son, Will Byers, vanishes in the first episode of season one. We later find out he was taken by a Demogorgon. We meet his group of friends. We meet Jim Hopper, who's the chief of the police department. There's Will's older brother, Jonathan, and the sister of Will's best friend, Nancy, her best friend, Barb, her boyfriend, Steve Harrington. I mean, there's a whole amazing sprawling cast of incredible characters in Stranger Things. So Stranger Things is really, it's a pastiche. It's an homage to all things 80s, especially Steven Spielberg movies like E.T. and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. There's also elements of Indiana Jones. There's some Star Wars the Goonies coming in. Don't I mean, forget, the Goonies. Don't forget the Goonies. The Goonies is like foundational oh, source material so for Stranger Things, for sure. So, Nish, where are you on 80s movies? I know I'm a few years ahead of you in the age department. Not too So many. these are... A few. <laughs> These are movies I totally grew up on, but I'm just yeah. curious, where are you on 80s movies, 80s nostalgia in general? Okay. I am a child and product of the 80s. Give me all of the <laughs> Debbie Gibson is what I have to say to that. So <laughs> yes, I good. love the 80s, much to my husband's dismay. I cannot get enough of it. He loves 80s <laughs> movies, but like 80s music, I'm like, oh my gosh, best ever. So I love everything 80s. I love all the movies of the 80s. I loved all the TV shows of the 80s, the cartoons, like old school Care Bears and Strawberry Shortcake oh, and Rainbow gosh. Bright. Like the old school. Yes. And like He-Man and She-Ra. Come on. This is the <laughs> good stuff. And so like I like the old stuff. And so I am very well versed in all of it. And like when I first watched the first season of Stranger Things, the first thing I thought about, I was like, this is the X-Files meets the Goonies. This is seriously yes. what it felt like was it was this like yes. weird kind of Dungeons and Dragons, like portal to another dimension, like all of these things, mind reading and telekinesis meets like this incredible cast of hilarious children. And you're like, right? <laughs> yes. Amazing. Like Dustin is chunk. Can we talk about that? Uh-huh. Perfect. Yes. For sure. Like There's that a, is just yes. that equate, like that kind of funny like inherently funny, super awesome humor. I just, I love it. It was so good. So I am all about it. And the nostalgia kicks up into high gear in season two, which was so fun. They're go- oh they're my gosh. Ghostbusters costumes. Come on. I mean, seriously. I just, I don't know. I feel like we, I don't know if we are the best people or the worst people to be talking about Stranger <laughs> Things because I'm like completely, I have, I have I'm completely um, non-objective. I'm so like, I love, I feel like point for point, they hit so many things. There's even, even in the subtleties, like you said, like the Ghostbusters costumes in, <sighs> in season two. Um, it's just like, it's perfectly executed. It was perfect. so amazingly well done. I love perfect. it so much. And yes, I mean, the music, the soundtrack they bring in, like, truly, Even, if you are a child of the 80s, you're just, you're singing along. You're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I can't believe they found this one. It's uh, it's so, so good. good. And even like the music that they had orchestrated for the show, the original yes. like soundtrack is very like 80s synthesizer and it's got, it, it, it has is. such a strong 80s vibe. That even yes. like the orchestration is like everything about it is so eighties. The the opening sequence with the letters, yep. like that was even filmed yep. in an old school way. It's like they're all these <gasps> elements are so Ugh. kind of almost analogish, like early tech. And right. it is fantastic. It's so fun. It's so fun if you were like know that era and love that era. So I don't know. It's been a blast. It really is. And I think that that 
connection, that deep-seated connection to 80s nostalgia really plays such a big role in how Stranger Things has been received, especially by people like sort of broadly speaking in our age group, because right. we're, it is, it's so familiar. Like you said, even the title card, you see that font and you like somewhere deep in your brain, in the recesses of your brain, you're like, I know that. Right. You don't know exactly where it's from, but you're like, I know that font. Yes. I know this title sequence. I'm, I'm home in a sense, you know, I'm back in my childhood. Um, but also, also, of course, it's wonderfully updated. There's nothing, even though it's so right. per pitch perfect 80s, there's nothing that feels like cheesy or corny or anything. I mean, right. It doesn't have the like really cheesy dialogue of some of the 80s movies that were so like, right. you know, fond of. And, you know, some of the big like, oh, my gosh, my kids are really into Goonies right now. So mm -hmm. we are like reacquainting ourselves with the movies because we haven't you know seen it in a while or the movie. And it like you watch back through it and you're like, oh, there are gaping plot holes. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, yes. wow, this is terrible. But like, you love it. You love it. But it's like, this is actually not that good of a storyline. But Stranger Things like does not have that like they they close up holes they like it's just very it's seamless everything gets answered like there's all these different elements that feels a lot tighter that was lacking yes. in some of those early 80s movies so it feels updated in oh that way, yeah right for sure that is the perfect way to describe it and i mean let's not f forget to point out the fact that you know movies have a limited screen time to work with, you know, usually two hours or less to work with. And here we are sprawling out over, you know, eight to nine hours per season where they really can follow all of those rabbit trails to so their completion, uh, which is so satisfying. So satisfying as a viewer. I will say that we've had a number of people in the awesome community that are like, I don't do well with scary movies or with mm. horror movies. Can I watch Stranger Things? Mm. I know you're probably okay with most scary things. I feel like, Nish, is that accurate for you? <laughs> I can do, like, the crazy serial killer in the woods movies, but I cannot, okay. like, the, like, paranormal activity stuff, I can't, mm -mm, nope, nope.com. Okay. Like, I do, I cannot do it. <laughs> cannot. And my, actually, my, my podcast co-host, she's like, I don't know if I can do it. And I'm like, you can do it. You can do it. You but can. then like second season has actually more horror elements than I think the first season. And so I yes. told her, I was like, oh, just kidding. I don't think maybe you should do the second season. But do the first <laughs> one. It's really good. <laughs> I will say it is intense. The The hardest part for me, and I'm sure, Nish, you can relate to this. The hardest part is that the driving plot point for season one is that a little boy vanishes. And it's the, you know, again, Winona Ryder, an incredible performance. Her frantic hysterical like in the truest sense that you know you would be hysterical if your child vanished into thin air that was the hardest part of all of the various plot lines that was the hardest for me of just like that empathy of like oh my gosh what would I do kind of thing now I feel like the fact that we know from the beginning that what has happened to Will is supernatural super it's paranormal it's mm -hmm. not like a typical child abduction story, which is so interesting too. Kyle pointed this out to me as we were watching um, season two, that the child abduction thing, again, for children of the eighties and our like stranger danger thing that was ingrained in us. Right. And this idea that, you know, oh you gosh. know, don't ride your 
bike too far or you could, you know, someone will just grab you off the street kind of thing, which sadly is still something that our children are aware of. But that was like, like face on the milk carton, kids being abducted was such a reality for us in the right. 80s. They had like TV shows about yes. it. They yes. had TV shows like based on these stories. And so this was just a part of culture was, you know, the vanishing child. I mean, horrible, exactly. horrifying stuff. But like, it actually was a very cultural thing um, yes. that, that was happening at the time. So it definitely is a hearkening back to that as well. That's a really smart observation by Kyle. Good job, Kyle. I know that that INTJ brain, it comes up with all kinds of smart things. So, We're smart. Yeah, just like what you. can I say? <laughs> <laughs> um, but truly, I mean, I feel like that for me, if you have a hard time with that whole the the intensity of what it would feel like as a parent, I can see how that would be hard. But truly, the way they handle the sort of horror or the scariness, I don't know how to say this because it's very intense, but it's not like, I don't know, I didn't feel like scared to, you know, walk down the hallway at night kind of thing. Maybe no. other people might, but it's like so, so paranormal that there's enough detachment, I feel like, still, that you can just be totally. like, oh, this is entertainment, you know? That's right. It, it wasn't like watching The Ring for the first time. Like right. The, or like right. The Blair Witch Project. Or like, I remember the first time I watched The Ring. I was watching it by myself in my college dorm. And right after you had, like, you see the video that, you know, you supposedly have X amount of days before you die after you watch this video. Mm-hmm. And the phone mm-hmm. rings, you know, in the movie right after... You watch the video. After I watched the video for the first time, my phone rang. I have never been so scared in my life. <laughs> I thought I was going to pee my yes. pants. I literally just stared at my right. phone. Like it's it doesn't have that element of like I'm never turning on my television again because something right. else is going to crawl out of it. Like that is not right. It's not that. It is very like old school, like old school sci-fi, like Aliens and Area 51, and it's got that element to it. It's not a I can't turn on my TV or answer the phone sort of a thing. Yes. It's very different. Totally. Totally. That's such a great way to describe it. Yeah. I also love that this whole series really just plays with some of the very common tropes of 80s movies and 80s entertainment. There is a fantastic piece in the Washington Post from Stephanie Mary and Shelley Tan that talks about how Stranger Things subverts some of the major tropes. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well because it's totally worth checking out if you're a Stranger Things fan, but it like even things like, you know, in the 80s movies, there was always sort of the absent minded or absentee parent that's just like checked out and oblivious. And in a sense, I do kind of feel like Nancy and Mike Wheeler's parents are a little bit, they sort of kind of represent that trope. But then yeah. you have Joyce Byers who totally turns that trope upside down. She right. is you know, the main person who is determined, of course, as a mother would be, to yep. find Will and to find out what had happened. So that was fun. I also love, speaking of Nancy Wheeler, that it really plays around with the trope of the girl with the one-track mind. It's all about the boy and the relationship. So we meet Nancy Wheeler, and you think it's going to be like this pretty and pink storyline. Yeah. But she turns out to be totally badass and amazing <laughs> really quickly. Amazing. 
So, yeah. So fun how it plays with tropes and, and really just, there's so much, you can really see the inspiration from the source material. Like you said, everything from Goonies to, I really think the Indiana Jones and yes. um, Chief Hopper connection, totally. like the sort of adventurer, like the rugged adventurer. Yep. Uh, oh my gosh. But kind of jaded so based on like right. relationships in the past. And like, you've got all of that sort of character development, especially in Hopper who, yes. um, you know, has a very significant thing that happens in his past that we start to reveal and it starts to play out pretty significantly in season two, which we'll talk about, but mm-hmm. there's all these sorts of dynamics that produce really intense character development that is so it makes it so much fun to watch like megan this is the most fun i have had watching television in years it is so fun well yes let me couch that game of thrones is really like number one okay if if you know me in game of thrones like there is probably (laughs) nothing that will ever supersede game of thrones for me but stranger things is i mean it is straight fun it is fun to watch it's entertaining it's got just enough layers to make you kind of put on your tinfoil hat for a second and like you know go conspiracy theory of what's gonna happen next but it's just so it's so much fun and i love that tv feels fun again and it has been really awesome i love it Love it. Love it. Yes. So we're going to get into spoilers here in a minute. I will say this before we move into spoilery territory. I don't know about you, Nish, but I was I was nervous before we hit play on season two because I was like, season one was amazing. Epic. Epic. Epic it was so being good. the best word. And I was so nervous. Like, how can they possibly follow up? I had that sense that you would. I mean, again, they the Duffer brothers really want us to see season two as Stranger Things 2. So that idea of like, I'm going to see see the sequel. Could it possibly live up to the first? I don't know. Um, I was in the beginning was a little slow in season two. And I was like, oh, I don't know. But then, oh my gosh, by the end, I was like, genius, brilliant. It ramps up so fast and it gets so intense really quick. And you're like, what? Like it just, oh gosh, it took me out of my skin. It was so good. Totally. So if you are wondering, if you've only seen season one, you're debating whether or not to to go for season two, I am fully endorsing. Yes, you absolutely should. Yes, you should. And there are, it, it does kind of tend a little bit more towards horror. There are some more horror elements that happen in season two. So if those things do upset you, like just know that it does take that turn. It gets, I think it actually gets a little darker in season two. Mm-hmm. And so, Oh yeah. Yeah. For, for folks who are sensitive to that, it season one is a like, you could watch that and I think it would be super fun and you could walk and walk away from it and actually feel satisfied and not have to watch season two or stranger yes. things two, And you'd be fine if, you know, the horror stuff is a little too much, but if you can tolerate it and you have not watched it yet, we need to talk about your priorities because <laughs> What are you doing with your life? How are you spending your time? We need to talk about your life situation right now because it's so good. It's so good. It's so good. Okay, so just know we are now moving into serious plot discussion, especially where we'll really be focusing on season two. So if you need to uh, push pause and go binge all of it, you do that and come back because we've got some thoughts to share with you. Nish, one thing that I cannot wait, I'm like literally rubbing my hands together. I cannot wait to hear your thoughts on this. When you and I started talking about maybe we could do an extra awesome about Stranger Things, one of the themes for season two that came to mind for you first was how our beloved characters that we have so much affection for 
that we have been through it with in season one, how season two deals with their trauma. Yes. From the things that happened in season one. It's go. Oh my gosh. Okay. I need to try to like Ready, set, go. pair down my thoughts because I have okay. all of them in the planet in my head right now. So here's the thing that I loved about season two was how I think how sensitive they were to what happened in season one. Like, and they were, especially with Joyce, you really got that sense of her yes. child was actually abducted. He was missing. There is significant trauma that she has to start to work through as, I mean, even like Will goes to school, like someone always walks him into the building and she stays there until she sees him walk into the building. And so there's all these different elements around Will and Joyce that I think is fantastic. And one of the things that I loved um, that continued on in Stranger Things 2 was how Joyce is the mom who believes her kid. And Mm, she, in season one, she was willing to go out into like the fringes of thought of maybe this is not, like there is something else happening here. There's something paranormal happening here. She was the first to believe it. And people thought she was crazy. You know, when she strung Mm -hmm. the lights in the house and- Oh gosh, um, yes. I mean- And she looks, I mean, it looks like- yeah, if you're just looking in, looking at what's going on there, it does look crazy. It really does. It totally and she, looks she crazy. Does, she has no time for what people think about her. She's she is single minded in her determination. I'm going to find my kid. Yeah. That's right. And yeah. so, mm-hmm. but that carries on in season two when, particularly in that like stretch of the story where they're looking for Hopper and he gets lost in the tunnels underneath the the town and. Will has these like visions. He's kind of one with the monster. He knows what's happening. And Joyce wastes like no time. She's like, can you draw it for me? And he's like, yep. yep. And so he starts drawing all these pictures and she's immediately transforming her house again. Yes. It like harkens again. back to season one yes. of her like Perfectly. stringing the lights. Uh, and so we, we see all the pictures lining up in season two. And she just... She believes her kid, like, because she knows. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I'm never not going to believe my kid. I'm never not going to assume that this is something normal anymore. And I right. love seeing that carry on in season two. The other thing that I really loved was watching his friends sort of deal with it, particularly Mike. Mike is yes. wrestling with <gasps> his beloved Eleven. You know, be not like he 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 thinks is dead or missing or caught in the upside down. We don't really know what they think about Eleven. They just say she's gone. She's gone. She's gone. And so they don't know if she's dead. They don't know if she's trapped. They don't know. They have no idea. They just know she's not there. And so we're watching Mm -hmm. Mike wrestle, who like fell in love a little bit with Eleven, that kind of like first childhood love. You see that happen in in season one, and it's so dear. It's so dear because you love Eleven too. You're like, yes. Yes. She's the greatest ever, which we will get to 11 in a minute. But yes. Mike's response of both dealing with 11 and being one of the first people always to realize what's happening with Will. He's probably mm. the most attuned out of all of the friends to something that yep. is going on with Will. And you can see it every time it happens, like the panic and the horror in Mike 
of Mm -hmm. what's going to happen to my friend. Is he going to disappear? Is like, what's, what's going on? And I mean, they saw some horrific, really terrifying things in the first season. And to watch that kind of play out is super interesting. And then we see Dustin who like gets this pet and dart this, yeah dart d'artagnan <laughs> because there was a three musketeers yes. bar you're like really you're the most darling ever and most darling yes. most darling and i love that he like cusses at other people's parents and stuff he's so funny god he's so funny <laughs> he is the comic relief of the entire show every time he comes on screen i find myself just so delighted in him but um like i hope my kid comes out with like a quarter of that humor but he like <laughs> has this pet that he really starts like, I mean, he is so attached to and is caring for it in this way that like, we don't ever really see Dustin in that role that like I, and so like we, we see him as this kind of like nurturing, taking care of protecting, um, kind of investing him, his whole self into this like relationship with this, (laughs) what ends up being spoiler alert. Yeah, a monster. Dem- Demogorgon. Yeah. <laughs> a, a Demogorgon. Or Demidog, so, as he insists yeah, on <laughs> trying to make that happen. <laughs> oh, gosh. There's so many elements. I know. Anyway, so like watching Dustin kind of process everything that had happened to him through his relationship with this pet and like wanting to nurture something and his relationship with his mom is so sweet. And anyway, and then you see um, uh, what's the young black kid's name? Um, uh, Lucas. Why am I Lucas? Yes. Why am I blinking on it? Anyway, Lucas and his kind of budding relationship with the new girl mm-hmm. who Mike is really upset with because she may be taking Eleven's place. And when Lucas goes to tell her about Eleven and Will and what happened, you really see it in his face. This like terror, like I can't tell you or they're going to take you or something's going to happen to you. Like right. there is still this underlying tremor of fear in these kids that you see in season two that I thought was so exceptionally well acted. These yes. kids are amazing. Are dynamite. They're yes. so good. They're so good. And so they just, I feel like they nailed it in all of the age appropriate ways of dealing with some of these emotions. You felt it very intimately. They, they just executed it so well. And so I, I loved it. And that moment when Eleven walks in for the first time. Oh my gosh, shut up. I just got chills. I, I mean, oh. you see Mike, I'm like, well, and of course, Eleven and all of her like, you know, late 80s, like Pearl Jam, like, <laughs> yes. you know, punk rock face. Which, and I'm like, yes, yes. Totally here yes. for it. Finally, I'm here for Punk Eleven. I mean, I'm here for it. I mean, really think about it. Like the just if you just look at how like her visual, like her visual aesthetic from the th- moment we first meet her, you know, freshly escaped from the lab to the closing of of season two. The the hair, the clothes, you know, she. Eleven is the perfect picture of not. She didn't know how to fit in or how to be. Um, how to be a human, really, how to be a girl for sure in season one. We see it awkwardly at the beginning of season two, but then just like the whole, her arc through season two, again, just looking at it visually is just, oh, so amazing. So much growth, so much redemption. It's so good. Yeah. You know what? Speaking of Will too, um, and speaking of the kids and just how well acted this is, I feel like Will 
we don't really get a lot of in season one. I mean, he's there, but obviously he's the vanished one. So he doesn't, I feel like he didn't have that much screen time. And so I knew he was a good actor from, you know, the intensity of what the scenes he did act in the first season. Season two is so much will. That kid portrays just like sort of the psychic weariness that you would know that he would that he would have to that I feel like is never dealt with when you look at you know stories like Harry Potter or whatever where we're focusing on a cast of kids you know a group of kids that are going through all of these things and we don't really ever circle back and and like step back and say they're children but I feel like in Will and definitely in the rest of his friends but in him you really see like the the absolute depths of um, really internal like torture that he went through, knowing that this was in him, that this evil was in him and still wanting so much, of course, to be in the right, for everything to be normal and for this to just go away. Ugh, ugh, this acting is so amazing. He's just brilliant. So good. so good. I love what you said about the development of Eleven because that is – Oh my gosh. Like it's so true that what you see happened to her. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I love too, going back to our um, conversation about trauma, her relationship with Hopper. Mm. Gosh. And how we're seeing Hopper deal with the trauma of losing a daughter and sort of wanting to almost like reclaim it yeah he wants to reclaim it and he wants to you know fill that void that was left by the death of his daughter and that comes out so strongly in his relationship with 11 particularly when you know she is starting to bump up against like she wants to go out she wants to go find mike she wants to she she hates being locked up of course cabin in the woods As a third, like whatever, 13 year old kid, like, are you kidding me? So of course, you're also seeing all these like hormone, like she's just a little girl kind of coming into her own and dealing with like all of the emotional stuff that happens when you are that age, which is traumatic in its own right, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. And so you see all of that happening, playing out in this relationship with Hopper and Hopper like reverting back to like strict mm. dad, I'm going to protect you. You're not going to go anywhere because this is not going to happen to me again. Exactly. And that is what we see. And to watch that play out in these like moments of intensity where, you know, Eleven like slams the door with her mind and like, you know, yes. knocks over bookcases and blows out the windows. And to watch Hopper almost want to be soft toward her because she has all these powers as well and yet he holds his ground too and realizes like you're being a moody teenager you just have all of these other abilities to like lash out at me right right yep no you're grounded right (laughs) right that is like well played hopper yes yeah but yeah it's just this that is its own really unique relationship of in, in in Hopper's, you know, on, on Hopper's side, almost like a codependency, you mm-hmm. see? Oh, yeah. A little bit, which yeah. is so fascinating. But I loved watching Eleven develop even in that relationship of seeing her become this, like, moody teenager. And I'm like, yes, mm-hmm. finally. She's not going to be this, you know, quiet, meek, scared girl anymore. She's actually this, you know, blossoming young woman who is trying to figure herself out and where she fits in the world. And she can't do that while she's locked in a cabin. Well, and I think that that is that there's such a interesting parallel between so she in her life prior to escaping the lab, she had Papa, who 
should have right. been a father figure to her who was complete he was in a sense her whole world was completely controlling of everything about her world used her to explore you know again all of these experiments they're doing and used her to further their scientific research but still fulfilled the role of father figure um and then so then you have that track and then in season two you have the track of hopper again he is controlling her world not to use her but to protect her but how could she possibly know the difference to her it's all these father figures controlling her and so of course she lashes out and and i mean it just makes logical sense that she would but you when you look at it through that lens you see the intensity of her pushing back against Hopper and rebelling against him. You see the intensity of him. He's never dealt with, really dealt with the grief of losing his child. Um, And his frantic need to keep her there, uh, both because he's seen what has happened to her, but also because of, you know, grieving the lost child. Uh, Just, you see the two tracks and then you see in the end, again, that redemption arc last scene as they're going down and closing the gate the holding hands i will start crying right now nish because it is so beautifully done so beautiful the last the last scene Mm. was it's just so heartwarming like it is yeah i hope i honestly hope they don't continue like as much as i love stranger things and it's the most fun i've ever had watching tv and all of those things and the character development and 11 and i mean millie bobby brown is just go ahead and give her all of the emmys and all of them just 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 give them to her do it yep yeah done deal and frankly the little boy who played will is amazing as well Mm, all of them it's hard to say but like millie bobby brown holy cow just incredible but as much as i love this show And as much as I would love to see it go, you know, on into eternity, because I'm so attached to these characters, it wrapped up so beautifully. And it was this like perfect ending that I kind of want them to stop. Like, I don't want it to keep going because I'm like, just leave it. Let it be this thing that is like this perfect story arc, all the closed like loops. I mean, it just it wrapped up so beautifully and so tightly yeah. And so satisfyingly, like he really did. it's really rare where you find a show these days <laughs> I know. that you become so attached to Yes, that ends in a way that is super satisfying. Even like, I mean, we can talk about the latest Gilmore Girls too and how like there's kind of a cliffhanger <laughs> at the end and you're like, that is not satisfying to me. <laughs> right. Right. It's so true. It's so true. And, and I, so, yeah, you want, like, I don't know. I, I kind of want it to just stop. For the sake of this series, I want it to stop. I totally get that. And even even as you're saying, it wraps up so beautifully. And I do think that the end, it's like classic 80s, almost like John Hughes-esque in terms of like how everything comes back together and all, you know, the restoration of relationships and just so much tenderness and fondness and all of it. But I will say too, even though they, in the culminating, you know, episode there at the end, everything is tied up. They do allow some terrible things to happen, obviously, with um, Sean Astin's character. Bob. Bob, yeah. Bob, Bob. Newby. Yep. Um, lays down his life for the good of Joyce and the kids, which is a 
devastating scene. That was one of the true suspense moments where you're just like, you don't know because you know, the show will kill people. You know, they will Barb season one. Hello. Um, you know that people will die, but he's Bob and he's so good. And then you're like, but he's so good that he's probably going to die. And so like in that moment when you don't know what's going to happen, it's so suspense filled. I was like gripping Kyle's hand. I was like, is he going to die? He's going to die. No, he won't die. He can't die. And then it does like, <laughs> it's, yeah, he for sure so- dies. He for sure does. Sure. <laughs> dies. How awesome is it, speaking of the Goonies, to see Sean Astin come surface in this movie? Was Not amazing. to mention, like, I'm watching Sean Astin's characters, Bob, and I'm like, oh, you're Rudy and Sam White's Gamgee, and you're going to do it. You're going to lay down your life for your friends. That's just right. what you're going to do, buddy. That's I your know. goal in life in I know. movies. It's, yes. just what's, it's just what's in store for you. It's and what's going to happen. You knew it was coming, and you didn't yes. want it to come, but at the same time, it happened, and you're like... Yeah, well, it was it was always going to happen. It was always going to happen. Another plot line that I'm really surprised they did not tie up with a neat bow is Eleven's mom, uh, Jane's mom. You could we know that we know that that's what she had intended to name her. And so I thought because I could see they could play around with the idea that when when she and Eleven meet both in person and sort of in the mind space that Eleven is able to go into, I thought, okay, this is going to maybe heal her mom, heal her from her brokenness. But I feel like the show in leaving her the way she is kind of deals with the reality that some broken things stay broken and not everything gets tied up with a ribbon and a bow and a happy ending, which I thought was... Megan. Like well, it hit me in my soul just for a second. <laughs> Hang on, I need a minute with that. Some things stay broken. I Holy mean, truly, mo- yeah. That's woo. Okay, that's a whole other thing that we could explore. <laughs> Holy cow! Well, truly, truly, I do think that that is just. I I wondered what they were going to do with that. I was really surprised that they brought that um that part of Eleven's narrative back in, and then to see that they just kind of left it like that. Some people might see it as unsatisfying. I really do think that it is the writers really asserting the fact that not everything gets a happy ending. So, um, I want to talk really quickly about the element of evil and the manifestation of evil in Stranger Things. Oh, let's talk about that. That was your thing when we were talking about this. You're like, I want to talk about some evil. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) let's, please, (laughs) let's make that happen. (laughs) Here's my thesis about evil and stranger things. I feel like we do, we live in an amazing, an amazing time of television. So great. But it's also the realm of the anti-hero. So we have like Breaking Bad, The Sopranos kind of started us on this journey, but we have Breaking Bad. We have, in a sense, Game of Thrones. We have fantastic television being made that explores humanity and explores how all of us as humans hold both good and evil within us, the propensity to do right and the propensity to do wrong, and allows us to kind of enter into that gray area, that smushy area in between what's good and what's bad within us. And we've kind of been really submerged in that approach to character development and to storytelling for a while. And I think one of the reasons that Stranger Things, I mean, of course, Stranger Things has the 80s nostalgia and all of the things that draw people in. But I think what's that's it apart from other television that's being made right now is that the evil is just evil. It's just, it's, it's physically manifested in the monster, the demogorgons, the upside down, that there is an outside of ourselves evil 
that's the bad guy. And I feel like in the realm that we live in right now, which sometimes does feel like the upside down, let's be honest. <laughs> we are in the upside down perpetually right now. Perpetually. This is why I have to talk about religion and politics. Exactly. Just to remind myself that I am not in the upside down. <laughs> right. 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 So I do feel like I don't, I mean, of course, the Duffer brothers couldn't have planned perfectly and known what was happening in the greater cultural landscape of our country and, the, and really the, the world when Stranger Things 1 dropped. But I think that we, that there's something in us that feels almost, this is going to sound weird, so just bear with me, but almost a sense of relief in seeing evil as just being evil and that the, the humans flawed though they may be, the people that we're so attached to in the story, though they may be flawed, they are the good. And that there's a separate entity that is evil that they are fighting against. I feel like there's just, because we haven't really had a lot of big TV that's exploring that. I mean, The Walking Dead does to some extent, especially in the first few seasons, I didn't follow it. But I, I, Kyle still watches it and I've seen bits and pieces. It seems like almost now in the evolution of The Walking Dead that no, no, people are evil. <laughs> it's kind of like people in terrible situations do terrible things. Again, it's dealing with the, the terribleness of humanity in, in a lot of ways. But here it's like, no, people are doing good things. and there, But there is an evil that exists. And it's scary to confront it. Um, and it takes courage to confront it. Um, but we can confront it kind of thing. So it it gave my brain a break. Yes. Does that yes, make sense? Like I didn't, whereas with, with Game of Thrones and Sopranos, I mean, all the show, I mean, like House of Cards, mm. uh, I mean, there's all these, you know, shows that we love. Uh, yeah. Even The Walking Dead, even, um, uh, what's the other one that you mentioned? Breaking Bad is a great one. Um, there are all these shows where, yeah, you have to always remember that these people are like both and, and you're always wrestling with that internal conflict of cheering for the bad guy kind of. Yes. And it creates this like moral crisis. In yes. Like, why am I cheering for this person? Moral crisis. Like, you kind of are. Yes. And the nice thing about Stranger Things is that it, it really did. It gave my brain a break from having to like consciously think about like, what sort of like moral compromises am I making by cheering for this person? You know, like you can just say like, there's a bad guy and it's from another dimension and it's bad yes. and it's attacking these kids and their families. And you're like, okay, bad yeah. guy, good guy, good, right. evil, clear delineation. And I'm like, thank you. Because the, it allows you to enjoy it in a way yes. that... I mean, frankly, I do still get attached to the characters. I love them so deeply. Oh, sure. And, and these, these actors and all that kind of stuff. But it's not in the same sort of almost obsessive way that I get with like a Game of Thrones where you're always yes. trying to like uncover the motive and uncover the next thing. Like, what's he going to do? What's he going to say? Because you never quite know because they're good and they're bad. And they're like always battling these internal demons and each right. other and their internal demons. There's all these moving parts that you don't have to deal with in this show. Yep. And you can just look at it and go, oh, yeah, good guys and bad guys. That feels really nice. And it harkens back to a lot of those 80s movies that we were talking about, right? Like, like Indiana Jones. Like, 
okay, right. there's the good guys and the bad guys. And there's, you know, Indy who wants to save the day or ends up saving the day. You know what I mean? It's just, it, it harkens back to a simpler time of entertainment that doesn't make you think as hard. And it is frankly a little more fun. That's how I yep. feel about it. Totally. <laughs> totally. Okay. I'm going to ask you this, even totally, obviously people know we really loved this. Were there things about season two that were not your favorite that you're like, yeah, could have done without this plot line, this, where the story went here. The one piece that I wasn't really a fan of was, um, gosh, why am I blinking on names today? The new it's girl. a lot of names. Max. Yes, Max. Okay. Max. So mm-hmm. Matt, the whole Max's older brother. Oh, thing. Billy. Yes. Billy I, that's on my was list. A, like, Billy was a troll, like, in, in my mind in this show. I'm like, I need you to not be here. Right? I need you to not be a part of this conversation. Like, you need to go away. Bye-bye. That storyline was just, I could have done without that. The weird thing between him and um, Nancy's boyfriend, Steve. And I don't know. It was just kind of, like, overly done. I, they it's almost like they needed a human bad guy and they right. kind of threw it in that kind of left you with some questions of like what's his relationship to max and there was some of that element that like it, it definitely threw in that kind of human like quote unquote evil i guess if you want to talk about it like the bad guy yeah but i just i could have done without it i don't really feel like it added that much dimension to the show and it, I know. it added some dimension to max but I think they compromised some things on that storyline that that wasn't my favorite. What about you? That was totally on my list of of not my favorite. Um, I was just like, what is his purpose? I guess you're right. Maybe they did just want to have a villain, but he was like so villainy villain. <laughs> and also the racism thing, I, were they like, racism existed in the 80s. Like, okay, <laughs> still does, but great. What's your point? Right, like shocker. Right. You're, I just, you're like, this isn't like a really like hard point that you're trying to, you know what I mean? Like it just wasn't. I don't know. It just it just felt really disjointed. And I'm like, mm, it, I don't, it I don't felt. Know. I'm not sold. Not sold. Not sold. Not sold. It felt really superfluous. And and again, in a show like you said earlier, that is so tight and so runs on all of the tracks so well. It just was like, I don't know. Also, I know a few people were not huge fans of Chapter Seven of Season Two, The Lost Sister, where Eleven goes out on her own and meets her sister um, Eight. I think her name or her number was Callie Callie or Kaylee I can't remember now um and so that was that was an entire episode following 11 through that it came right before the last two episodes of the season so it to me I mean I understand the importance of it of why they wanted to explore again all of those parts of 11's backstory and where she came from and and how she discovers what she's capable of I totally get it it did seem a little bit like a weird thing pacing wise because the you know the series is like ramp up ramp up ramp up and then chapter seven is it's like almost slow it almost slows down to tell her story and then we're released back out into eight and nine so i don't know i'm sure they have the reasons you know pacing wise why they put that in there but i know a lot of people are like eh, that whole episode i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish I wish they would have paced out that episode throughout different episodes. Like I right. wish they would have like teased it out a little more in yes. each episode rather than devoting one whole thing to it. Yeah. Because I think that Eleven kind of being on like the ancillary, like she's kind of like on the outside of all these other things happening with, you know, the monster and the evil and the upside down. And like she's not a part of that throughout that whole really the whole series until near the end. Yes. And then 
you know, I, I so I wish they would have just developed that throughout some of the other episodes. Um, because she was already kind of on the outside of the main storyline for the whole season anyway. So why don't you just develop that elsewhere? Mm -hmm. I mean, I get kind of plot wise why it wouldn't work with her being locked in with Hopper and all that stuff. Like there's kind of some logistical things, but sure. I feel like they could have sped up some of that stuff, cut out Billy or whatever his name was. Right. Yeah. yeah that, that would have saved just some time and my own frustration. And yeah. so, I mean, if I were in charge, if I were as brilliantly creative as the Duffer Brothers, this is what I would have done. Megan. <laughs> Let's take a minute for my arrogance right now. But that is really how I would have done it. Because, yeah, that episode, while it was really good and it added a lot of nuance and context and all these things that were happening with Eleven, um, it just it felt a little out of place. And I wish it just would have played out a little more evenly throughout all of the episodes instead. That's all. Huh. 100% agree. If we do have follow-up seasons for Stranger Things, I hope that Dustin and Steve get to be like the next bromance. They could maybe hit the road with their amazing chemistry. <laughs> I would be the happiest woman on the planet if there was a Dustin and Steve spinoff. Like, yes. Or just a Dustin spinoff. Can we just have well, like an entire series like devoted to Dustin and his antics? Listen, because that kid. Hands down my favorite. He is amazing. Keep your eye on that kid. I have a I have a feeling he is going nowhere anytime soon because I mean wait, that's not what I meant to say. He is going to be all over the place. He is so talented and so fun. Um also, Steve, <laughs> with his with his line of I may have been a really crappy boyfriend, but it turns out I'm a really good babysitter. I was just like That was the is best. <laughs> It was the best. I was so happy. I was so, so happy, happy in that moment. I was like, oh, Steve, you yes. really just. He was the character from like season one to season two. He was another one that we saw yes. development with. We're like, so much. Season one, you're like, you are the worst. Capital T, capital W. Right? But now here in like Stranger Things 2, I'm like, why do yeah. I like you so much? I know. You turned I know. into like a good human being. Yeah. I actually like you. You're not a turd. So I am, yes. I just loved it. Loved it. Yeah. Ahead Such of the development. Ahead of the release of the season, Linda Holmes wrote a piece um on it and mentioned that Steve gets to interact with other characters besides Nancy and in that their other weirdo not weird, but like preppy friends. And that when they pulled Steve out of that context and had him with other characters, it was like he really came alive. And he really does. So okay. Oh my gosh, so many words. So many words. Any other closing thoughts? Stranger Things one or two, uh, before I let you go, just watch it. <laughs> That's like the only thing I have to say is just watch it. it just it's you will be so entertained. Even and here's the thing that like really struck me, and that I was surprised by just in myself. I was never like super into the X Files. I was mm -hmm. never super into kind of the like you know, Area 51 type sci-fi that we were talking about. I definitely love Star Wars and Star Trek and, and that kind of stuff. Things that were like longstanding, you know, big, big narratives type stuff. But I never, I never really got into some of the other type of sci-fi. And so when Stranger Things first came out and everyone was raving about it, and even my husband was like, uh, I don't know, like it's sci-fi. Do we really want to do this? And I'm like, you know what? Everyone's raving about it. Let's just, you know, watch it. I was surprised by how 
much I really loved it. Mm. And how, like, yeah, it is inherently sci-fi, but because of the character development, because of the acting, because of, like, the humor and all of these different elements that are happening, the 80s throwback in and of itself is just worth watching. But all of these elements together made, for me, someone who's not super into sci-fi, made it work. And it made it really approachable. It made it really easy to watch. It made it, I mean, all of those things. So I did not feel, I mean, I, and I nerded out hard, obviously. I'm here on a podcast talking for an hour about Stranger Things. And I could probably talk about it for another two hours, but we're not going to. So that is, like, I was, I was really surprised by how excited and how much I really, really loved it. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that there's something, this is the thing I love about it is there's, there's something there for everyone. Yes. Um, yeah. And that makes it really um, appealing to me is that you can find something or someone in the storyline in the show that you really connect with that will make it work for you. And it's just really, really good. And the jumpy stuff and the scary stuff, like, yeah, it does get intense in season two, but it's, it's, it, it makes it fun. Like it's, it actually, it's an added element and not something that yes. away. Like they, totally. they use it really well. Um, it's not overdone. It's not super scary. It's like just enough yes. in my mind to yep. make it really entertaining and not something that's distracting. So I would, that's just my, those are my thoughts. Just go watch it if you haven't. And if you haven't, then just call me because I'll convince you with my words. That's how I feel. <laughs> uh, yes. Good. I'm going to co-sign all of that. Totally. There is something for everyone. And truly, the scary context is it's really just an added fun part of it because the storyline, the characters, all of it. You will not be sorry. I, I stand by that. So, Nish, if people want to come and find you for, fo- you know, follow up conversation on this, I feel like Twitter is probably the best place to track you down for Stranger Things. Yeah, Club. I am on Twitter. It's just at Nish Wyseth on Twitter. Um, I'm on Facebook as well. I have a Facebook page, which isn't as active as I am on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. If you, yeah, I mean, that's. Twitter is definitely probably where I'm more political. So just mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. fair warning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If that is not your thing, no offense taken. Like it is not everyone's <laughs> cup of tea to hear someone rant about liberal politics all the time. So I get it. It's totally fine. But um, I do love to talk about like Game of Thrones and Stranger Things and just, you know, everyday stuff. I also am on Instagram where I share photos of my family and I'm just kind of normal. Like I'm really not all that exciting, I guess. But <laughs> Twitter is definitely where I'm most lively. Let me say that. So you can find me on Twitter. I have a website. I've got a newsletter, all that stuff. So good stuff. And of course, you're going to want to, if you enjoyed Nisha's amazing and intellectual and thoughtful commentary on Stranger Things, you know, you want to go check out Impolite Company, the new podcast again, wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you all so much for listening. I cannot wait to hear your thoughts on Stranger Things. Thanks for listening. And we'll see y'all next time. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.